Well, thanks for getting up bright and early and being here. My name's Todd Wagner. For those of you that uh, I've never had the privilege of meeting, and we're glad that you guys got up and ate some health food with us and joined in with some other men. Um, and I'll tell you what we're going to do this morning is different than what we'll do every other week of this little uh, exercise we're going to be together. We're just going to take a, a broad look at why we're about to enter into this little season that we are together and why it matters and um, what we hope it produces. And then in the future what we'll do is we'll gather in here at 6.30 and we'll spend just under 15 minutes just having a corporate thought, uh, maybe even a little less than that, and kick you out in your small groups by 6.45, let you grab something to eat, and then we'll get started. One of the little traditions that we've had here, I guess, um, has always been to maybe play a little music video, get us started. And uh, I'm going to play an interesting one today. It's uh, one you've maybe heard before. But we're sitting and thinking about, because what I'm going to call you guys to do is to get in the game and uh, to make war with me specifically. And so um, I chose this little Toby Keith video. It's one of my favorites because it makes me, um, it humbles me to know what men are doing all across the world and women are doing for me so I might have my freedom. But it reminds me of what I'm to be about. I'm going to read you a little post from a guy who is no longer with us who, uh, who made a comment about who we are as men and what we must be about and why this world is suffering because we are not the soldiers for eternal things that we need to be. Well, watch this little video called American Soldier. Let's take it in, and then we'll dive in together. Well, let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you for uh, men and women that are in battle for us, that are sacrificing, that are um, strong and steady and true down to the core, that, um, that are facing the enemy, that are doing, uh, disciplining their bodies so that I might be free, that are ready when the wolf growls at the door. I thank you for uh, the servicemen of our country, the servicewomen. And I pray that even as uh, they serve nobly, that I would serve even more nobly for a greater cause than American freedom. And that the men in this room would join me. And that we would strap it on. And we would discipline ourselves that we might make war so that people might be free, because there is one that growls, who stands at the door like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. And this country, this world, desperately needs men who are strong, who are steady, who are true down to the core. And I pray that you recruit a few of our hearts, uh, get us more fully engaged than we have been, and enlist some new willing souls to make war. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I, I got to tell you, uh, there's a couple things I'd do if I was king and there was no vote and I didn't really care. Uh, one, I'd have school stop right there for Memorial Day and it would not start till after Labor Day, just like when I was a boy. Uh, but the other thing I would do is you would graduate from college and you would go into two years of military service. One of my great regrets in life is that I didn't have that privilege to serve our country in that way. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you, I, I really would. I would put us all in two years and by the grace of God, hopefully it wouldn't involve uh, combat, but it would put us through discipline, it would put us through um, teamwork, it would put us through understanding authority, it would make us men. And uh, say, so let's go back and get on it, boys, and from 20 on, we, we could pick up where we left off. But I would do that. Now, here's what I will tell you. Even though I have never served in our nation's military, um, I, I will tell you that uh, I am privileged to serve in, I think, even a more nobler fight. I, I love what they're doing, fighting for American freedom and for uh, the right of individuals to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. 
and hopefully uh, to live in a world where all men are are create I mean are treated equally, uh, even as they've been endowed with equality by the Creator. But but I will say that I I, I get to do that now anyway. I um, I was reading this deal, and maybe you guys have seen these these kind of uh, funny little pundit sayings about different uh, professions and careers. Um, you know, like like a lawyer is somebody who writes a ten thousand word document and calls it a brief. Um, a diplomat is somebody who can tell you to go to go to hell and make you look forward to going there. Um, those kind of things. A psychologist is who looks at everybody else when a pretty girl walks in the room. Right. Some of y'all could use a little bit more psychologists in you, I imagine. But, uh, you know, as I, as I started thinking about that, I started thinking about, you know, what would somebody say about me and uh, in my career as a pastor? And I didn't write really one for a pastor, but, but what I wrote is one for a churchman, which I think is very different than a pastor. A churchman, which I don't consider myself because of the negative connotation of that label. A churchman is somebody... Who, uh, who wants to invite you to their meetings to validate their meaning as an individual. And then will, uh, will, will in- encourage you in your complacency so that, and condone you in your complacency so that you won't feel like you need to leave that little organization. And that's the last thing I ever want to be. I don't want to cajole you into a meeting. And I certainly don't want to condone you in your complacency. I want to call you to make war because as great as it is to, to watch the way men are sacrificed and to be involved with our, our military, I want to tell you what we are calling you to is even greater still. Because while there is terror in the world, there is terror even inside the free world in the battle that we are fighting. And you can win that war and lose this one. In the end, it's a fleeting battle. Because whether you live under a communist regime or whether you live under a, um, uh, uh, a regime that is oppressive in some other way, if you don't have the individual capacity to walk in freedom and to live in a way that is honoring to God and to reconcile with Him, it doesn't matter what your government is here on this earth. And gang, that is the war that we are involved in. And the one I want to invite you back into. Uh, I, I don't know if you brought your Bibles this morning. I'm going to throw up a few verses. If you got them, turn to 2 Timothy with me because we're going to start there and look in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And, and if you've been around me at all, you'll hear me go back to these verses again and again. But it says, you therefore, my son, be strong. And th- this is one of my favorite things about the Bible when you read it, man, is you'll find out it's a book written to men. It calls you to be men. It says, be strong. It says, stand firm. It says, uh, be on the alert. It tells you to act like men in 1 Corinthians 16. But right here, it says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ. In other words, the, the life that he's invited you into, he invites you to live in that strongly. He says that when you learn these things about how to be a faithful soldier, about how to be strong in a world that's looking to beat you down... It says you need to learn to teach these to other men, to raise up other soldiers who will be faithful themselves and invite others to war faithfully. And then comes this little uh, section right here where it says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And it reminds us that no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life in order that that soldier might please the one that enlisted him as a soldier. And guys, that's really what we're going to do. I want to read to you 
uh, a great little meditation on this passage by a guy named A.W. Tozier, who Tozier was well known as a man that preached himself off every conference pulpit in the country because every time he went there, he just didn't give them that little pablum. He didn't give them uh, just uh, comfort and, and, and condone their complacency. He called men to be men. And eventually they were like, look, man, you, you know, uh, just kind of come and give us a good little pep talk at these conferences. And, and, and Tozier knew that we were at war and it wasn't time for a pep talk. It was a time to say, look, you may not want to die for this cause, but if dying is what it takes, you better be ready. And guys, I'm going to tell you, for you to be faithful at the cause that God calls us to, it takes dying. Maybe not physically, but to the idols that are in your heart. And here's what Tozer said as he meditated on this. This uh, encouraged me. He says, the laws of success operate also in the higher field of the soul. Spiritual greatness has its price. Eminence in the things of the spirit demands a devotion to these things that uh, things more complete than most of us are willing to give. But the law cannot be escaped. If we would be holy, we know the way. The law of holy living is before us. The prophets of the Old Testament, the apostles of the New, and more than all, the sublime teachings of Christ are there to tell us how to succeed. The amount of loafing, and this is where I want to go, practiced by the average Christian in spiritual things would ruin a concert pianist if he allowed himself to do the same thing in the field of music. The idle puttering around that we see in church circles would end the career of a big league pitcher in one week. No scientist could solve his exacting problem if he took as little interest in it as the rank and file of Christians take in the art of being holy. The nation whose soldiers were as soft and undisciplined as the soldiers of the church would be conquered by the first enemy that attacked it. Triumphs are not won by men in easy chairs. Success is costly. Guys, what I want to tell you this morning is that the reason that the church is getting run over is because it is being led by and served by men in easy chairs. We do not employ ourselves with discipline and excellence towards things that matter. Now, some of us might be out there, and a few of you might be going, now look, I have been, and you've been faithfully at battle for a while, but we need to invite more in. And what we're about to do in these next ten weeks is we're going to take these things, of, of these, these, these practices of discipline, this understanding that success is costly, and we're going to take these truths, which will make you effective in this war, and we're going to teach them, hopefully, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The goal is that you would raise up others in their ability to make war, to love and to give themselves away. And that's what we're about to enter into. And we're going to study great truths. And we're going to say, now is the time to do it, and we cannot tarry. Too much is at stake. Uh, you know, I uh, was, this Monday night, I was laying in bed, and I was just going through some emails, and I got one that came in, you know, late in the night. If you guys are uh, on our little click and pray, you might have seen this prayer request come through. But I laid in my bed for a good long while and prayed for this family and prayed for this couple. But this was the uh, request. It said, pray for the Muhlenberg family, specifically Art and his wife Karen. This evening, Art ran over his eldest son, who was seven, and killed his little boy. And I sat there, and I couldn't imagine at the end of a Labor Day, a daddy that, I don't know if he was backing a boat up or what he was doing or where he was, 
But I thought about how this family, uh, how that dad was not going to sleep that night. And that's what I prayed. I said, Lord, give him sleep. Give him rest. Give him sanity in this insane situation. That little art backed over his little seven-year-old son, never to hold him again. And I, 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 just, I, just, I just couldn't imagine the pain that that daddy had. And then I started to think about you, and I started to think about this morning. I started thinking about me and my six kids about 30 feet away from me in different rooms. And I started to think about something that really is even more tragic than what happened with art. And that is that uh, we're not backing over our kids and losing them that way. But we are ignoring our kids, and we are letting the wolf not just knock at the door, but consume them. Because we don't do war for our children. We are letting them be raised up in a culture of mediocrity, in a system of churchianity, uh, without a basis of truth and meaning and purpose and protection. And we are, we are destroying our kids because we are not purposely building into them the things that God said will lead them to life. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. I want to show you something here. This is a, a section of scripture that we often quote and read in our family. And one that I go back to again and again with my boys and my daughters. It, 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 uh, they've memorized much of it. But it says this. It says, my son, do not forget my teachings. It goes on to say that uh, let your heart keep them continually. For the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And then this little gem. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck continually. Write them on the tablets of your heart. For then you will find favor and good reproof in the sight of God and men. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. In other words, guys, if we don't do this, our kids are getting backed over and their bodies are getting destroyed. It says, don't let kindness and truth leave you. Now, for it to leave you, it means you've got to have it to begin with. And what I want to share with you is that there is a serious um, uh, uh, absence of truth being built into men in our communities. There's a serious absence of truth being built into young men today. And you are the solution to that. You guys are the means through which other individuals should be prepared for war and be made ready to do battle. Here's another little deal that Tozer wrote um, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, which says, Imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. He says, The history of Israel enjoyed it. Judah points up a truth taught clearly enough by all of history, but specifically that masses are soon to be what their leaders are. The kings set the moral pace for people. Uh, it is not complimentary to the masses that they are so easily led, but we are not interested in praising or blaming the masses. We are concerned for truth, and the truth is that for better or worse, people follow leaders. A good man may change the moral complexion of a whole nation, and a corrupt one may lead a nation into bondage. Today, the church in the West is what its leaders were in the recent past, and it's becoming what its present leaders are. So what are you guys becoming? 
What I want to share with you guys this morning is I, I don't know if we're becoming all that we need to be. I'm about to start a little series here that, that's going to go back and say to our body, this is the foundational truth that you need to bind around your neck continually and write on the tablet of your heart. And if you don't do it, it will cost you everything. If you do do it, it is the most noble activity that a human can give himself to. And what we're going to do these next 10 weeks is we're going to dip our own toes into that and we're going to study it ourselves. I am going to line up what I'm doing on Sundays with what we're about to dive into ourselves here on Thursday mornings. And I'm going to match it up perfectly. And uh, so you'll be right there with me thinking on it. And uh, I'll just walk you through what it is about this aspect of truth, why it matters, and what the effect is if you don't live by it, and what you should do about it. That's what I'm going to do for the next 12 weeks. And it's what we're going to do in this context of community right here. And we're going to invite you to be trained to go to war. Uh, we have been uh, journeying ourselves. As you guys know, what we typically do is we use this little thing called the journey to help us as we make our way through. And, um, and I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, which is what we just finished this book. And I want to take a look at this as we kind of uh, wrap up our just time here this morning. And, and, and tell you that the very end of the life of this guy, Solomon, at the very end of his life, this was kind of his, uh, his salvo. This was his last effort and word to say, this gang is everything that I've learned at the end of my life. And I want to share it with you. And so here we go. Let's learn from this guy, this Solomon. It starts off in verse 1. He says, remember. And that's why we're going to go back over. Some of you guys are going to think you know some of this stuff, but remember, you've got to drill, drill, drill. You've got to be able to take that gun apart and put it back together in the dark. You've got to know your weapon. You've got to know your enemy. And you've got to make sure that you are ready to do war with him with the body that you've been given. Remember, he says, your creator in the days of your youth. While you're young, and here's what I want to tell you. I was, I was visiting with a friend, and I'm, I'm grateful for uh, a lot of what's come out of this little ministry called Halftime. But they've got a little tagline on there called Moving from Success to Significance. And I, I am always offended by that tagline. And, and here's why. What, what they're really trying to do is capture guys that have already lost what Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 1 is admonishing you towards. And so it's, it's useful in that regard because it's calling guys back into the game that have really checked out for a lot of years. But what I don't like about it is a lot of guys read it and they go, I'll do that after I'm successful. I'll then start to be concerned about that which will make me significant. And what I want to say to you this morning, that is a huge mistake. Because you may as well go on about being truly successful and significant today. And if you become professionally, um, I guess, financed, and if you become successful in a business enterprise, fine. But don't think that that's what real success is ever. And so what Solomon's saying to you right here is while you're young, give yourself to what is ultimate true success and give yourself to what is ultimately significant while you're young before the evil days come. Or some Bibles might say the days of trouble. Now what are the days of trouble? He's about to spell it out for you. It's kind of fun here. Uh, and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. He describes that now. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. What he's saying is, the older days in your life fill with darkness and gloom. Uh, days uh, that are overcast and foreboding. He's talking about old age here. 
And none of us look forward to getting older. Here's why. It's the day that the watchmen of the house tremble. Solomon in his old age is starting to describe to you what's going on with him. The watchmen of the house are the hands and the arms. It's what bats away flies. It's what uh, it brings food to the mouth. And what Solomon's talking about here is, is that when you're old, even before you have a caffeine overdose, the watchmen tremble. You've seen you know, Billy Graham now with Parkinson's, but a lot of folks, even without Parkinson's, when they get old, the watchmen tremble. And it says the strong men stoop, or the mighty men stoop. It's talking about the legs. That these things that, that help you stand upright, no longer quite there is upright. He goes on to say the grinding ones stand idle because they are few. What's he talking about there? The teeth. And those who look through the windows grow dim. Talking about your eyes. i got to tell you, it, it hit me uh, uh, when I was 40, and it just keeps getting more and more. And in low light, I am useless. I don't read my Bible like this anymore. I read it with bright light like this now. Because the watchmen are dim. And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. That, that, the doors of the street, talking about your lips. And they start to come back in like this a little bit as you get older. Right? Because uh, your mouth starts to go in. So he's just describing that. He says, um, and, and, and one will arise at the sound of the bird, the lack of sleep. You don't need as much sleep when you get older. And all the daughters of song will sing softly. You can't hear like you used to. Furthermore, men are afraid of high places and tears on the road. Loss of vigor, strength, and agility is what he's talking about right there. The almond tree blossoms. Almonds, trees, when they blossom, have white all across them. And what he's saying there is you start to have a white head. The grasshopper, this, this picture of vitality and strength and bouncing around, drags itself along. The body is dying. And the caper berry is ineffective. Um, some would say that that's a, a reference to um, a sexual appetite, like it's an aphrodisiac. But really what is a caper berry is, is kind of a relish. It's what makes certain foods spicier and alive. But it just says it doesn't matter what you put on it. You just don't have the appetite you used to have. For man will go to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember, this is what it's saying, remember him before the silver cord is broken. And the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. That which brings up life to you, your blood, your heart, before it doesn't rush life through your veins anymore. Remember God in your youth and get after it. Now I wanted to stop right here because I, I, I love the fact that in this room are some guys that are 60 and they're just enlisting. Whereas the American military would not take you, God will. And, and it's never too late to get in the game. Moses was 80 when God called him to get busy. And uh, in fact, if you go back up a little farther in this uh, little book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find uh, a comment there by uh, Solomon where he, he talks about, in chapter 11, I'm going to turn there, I didn't pull it up, but he talks about how, look, it's never too late to be effective and to jump in and to be a man that gets in the game. He tells you, look, if you didn't do it in the morning, make sure you get about it in the evening. You can go back and read it yourself. It's in chapter 11, verse 6. And, uh, and I will tell you, I want to die strapped to the harness. And I love the fact that there's some men that are right now, uh, some of them have been faithful and, and have been old soldiers for a long time. They're going to train younger men. 
But, but, but others are just now enlisting, and it's never too late to get in the game. But here's what I want to tell you. In your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, don't jack around. While you're strong, get in the game. Get on the front lines. Start making disciples. Don't get lost in the distraction of becoming a worldly success and then focusing on significance. Become successful right now so that you can be significant in the ultimate battle right now. This is where Solomon goes at the very end. Remember, he says, don't give yourself away to vanity. Verse 11, jump down there. He says, the words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. In other words, uh, don't, don't abandon these teachings. Let them goad you on and push you to more excellence. He says, they are like masters of truth. They're like well-driven nails. They hold things in place that ought to be in place. They're given by one shepherd. The truths that we're going to teach in here are not ideas that I've got. They're things that your Father has given you so that you can have life and health and understanding. And so that you can be a man that others look, look at and go, I am thankful. Not for an American soldier, but I am thankful for a man that wars for God. And that doesn't let the wolf devour me, who is strong, who is steady, who is solid, and is true to the core. We don't have enough of those men. He says, beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is worrying to the body. Make sure you read wisely, not just read. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is this. Fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. Get in the game. That is the call. You know, uh, what I want to say to us, guys, it's going to be tough to get up early. I know it is. But for us to excel, we've got to build into us, to us to excel still more, to build in us um, uh, the things that we need, we have got to to push ourselves beyond our normal limits. We've got to train ourselves just like athletes do. And we've got to change our schedule so that we can become more of who we want to be. So we're going to get up earlier. We're going to not do certain things so we can read the right things. We're going to meditate on things, memorize things, and we're going to have others that spur us to complete the task so that we can finish well. And that's really what we're going to do for the next 10 weeks. We're going to go to a bit of a boot camp. And we're going to give you this, this particular 10 weeks, something that we've never given you before, a little workbook to go home and do about 20 minutes a day, about two hours over the week, so that you can wrestle with this stuff on your own, so that we can come back together and push it into our bellies a little bit. That's where we're headed. That's what we're about. And I'm going to tell you what, as tragic as it was for the Muhlenberg family on Monday night, what breaks my heart even more is that some of us have kids that are 30 feet from us, that we're ignoring. Some of us have neighbors that are three houses down from us, that have been abandoned by their fathers, that are orphans, that God loves, and we're ignoring them. And we're letting life back up over them. And I think about Art, and I think about how much he would give to be able to teach his son Scripture. How much he would give to be able to model for him greatness as a man, to live for eternal things. And Art doesn't have that chance with a seven-year-old boy anymore. 
But what's really tragic is that you do and you may not. And I don't want to be that man. So as I prayed for art, I prayed for you and I prayed for me. Um, there's a, a leadership book that was written a while back uh, called The Power of Engagement. And it talks about what makes men essentially great is, is uh, engaging and not being passive. And if there's a problem is that we're passive. We are more churchmen than followers of Christ. And it makes me sick. And I don't want to be a part of churchmen. I want to be a part of men that make war. And in this little book, The Power of Engagement, what it basically says is you've got to figure out what you should engage with. What is it that I'm going to give myself to, really? And I want to tell you, if you're giving yourself to anything other than that which is not fleeting, you are giving yourself to the wrong thing. If you're giving yourself to anything that expires at the end of time, you're giving yourself to the wrong thing. If you're preserving storehouses and sticking more grain in storehouses, you are a fool. And what God says to do is to live nobly and to live wisely and to figure out what purpose is. That's why Psalm, at the end of his life, he says, remember... Remember this, because this will be life to you. And everything else is just a slow death. And you'll join the rest of guys that are tiptoeing safely through life just so they can arrive safely and comfortably at the grave. And I don't want to be one of those guys. I want to be part of the special forces that inserts myself into danger to bring peace to people and deliver them from terror. And that's what we are called to do. But we're not going to get there by being soft and sitting in easy chairs. We've got to discipline ourselves. We've got to learn the manual, understand our weapon, and surround ourselves in a platoon of godly men and get after it. And this city needs those kind of soldiers. This is really where Paul went. A little bit further down in 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, he, he continued by... by uh, by talking about what a man should do. In verse 20, he says, In a large house there are many vessels, uh, not only gold and silver, but vessels also of wood and of earthenware, in verse 20. Some of these are vessels of honor and some to dishonor. Because look, I didn't want to just be in the military. I want to be a ranger. I want to be a green beret. I want to be a seal. I want to be the best of the best. I want to be a guy that can be dropped into any situation and have competency capability and intel don't you okay there's a reason that they don't make very many movies about guys that file paper because that's not what men want to do there are guys that weep because they have a heart murmur that doesn't let them train for ultimate warfare and i gotta tell you there's not a heart in this room that God is not willing to put in special forces. But you've got to look at what those men do that are able to be inserted in any circumstance. You know, we're, we're blessed here. We've got a number of guys that are members of our church, that are leaders in our church, that are ex-special forces. And I love to talk to them about the training they're going through. Bobby Crowdy, who runs this entire summit, his son is currently a ranger, deployed in the Middle East. Just got through ranger school about a year ago and has been serving faithfully for us. And I know some of the stuff that Bobby went through to become a ranger. And I just sit there and I go, Bobby is, is fighting nobly for a country that is destined to expire. How am I doing in fighting for a cause that will never expire? Now look, it's never too late to enlist in this war. There's not a heart murmur here that God can't heal and fix and start to beat steady 
and strong and solid. But you've got to decide if you want to be part of that team. And if you're going to dive in and if you're going to go to war. And discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It says, do you want to be a vessel of wood or do you want to be a vessel of honor? See guys, there is no excuse here. This has nothing to do with your physical makeup. It has everything to do with your willingness to surrender to greatness. This is what the guys who wrote that book, The Power of Engagement, said. You've got to figure out your purpose. You've got to face the truth. And you've got to develop a plan. And what I want to say to you this morning is I'm going to give you your purpose. Remember your Creator. Know that anything that you do apart from serving Him is vanity. And you've got to face the truth. You'll never start to deal with your incompetency and your lack of preparedness if you don't acknowledge you're incompetent and not prepared. Don't give me your excuses about the fact that you don't think you have the same memory that some other guy has. That you didn't have the same daddy that some other guy has. When our military trains men from special forces, they are not concerned about what their daddy was like. They want to know what do they want to be like. And they say, are you ready to man up and do what you need to do to be the best soldier that you can be? There ain't a guy in this room that can't memorize Scripture. There ain't a guy in this room that can't read their Bible and write down what they're learning and apply it to their heart and ask other men to spur them on that direction. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to call each other to that so we can be vessels of honor. I love it. He goes on to say, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be that vessel of honor. What are these things? These things are things which entangle soldiers. He goes on to say, so refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. What he means there is don't get in arguments about where life can be found and what truth is. Remember your Creator. Define what you want to be about, face the truth about who you are, and come up with a plan to get after it. What we're offering here, gang, is a plan to start to become men of honor. And the truth is, all of us can do better, and the plan's going to be we're going to get our butts up out of bed, we're going to memorize scripture, we're going to spend about 30 minutes a day on our own, we're going to lock arms together and spur each other on, and we're going to start being men. While the wolf growls at the door of our seven-year-olds, our co-workers, our families, and our country. And, uh, and we're going to get after it. I love uh, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is probably considered the greatest American preacher that ever lived. Jonathan Edwards was really the guy that, that uh, started and was a big part of what was called the Enlightenment. And, uh, and when Jonathan Edwards did not live very long. And you can go back and look at his family tree and the, and the blessing that came out of this man's leadership. And, and uh, there's been studies that have been done by sociologists to trace the lineage of the impact of Jonathan Edwards to succeeding generations. And vice presidents and heads of schools and heads of state came from this man's family. And, and they, they put him up against another guy named Max Jukes, who was basically a, uh, a vagabond and a man of, of, of no purpose and it talks about the millions of dollars that he cost the state of New York because his godlessness and purposelessness was handed down to, to generations that followed him. And, uh, and, and the jail time and the incarceration and the pillaging that came from 
from Max Juke's legacy. And you start to ask, what made a difference in these two men's lives? And, and, and those of you guys that have studied Edwards at all know that what Edwards did is exactly what the guys who later wrote a book called The Power of Engagement suggest. What Edwards did is he sat down and he said, I am going to state my purpose. I'm going to figure out what matters. I'm going to face the truth and I'm going to come up with a plan. When Jonathan Edwards was 17, he sat down and he wrote down 21 resolutions for his life. And then what he did is throughout the rest of his life, he committed to reread every week those resolutions and to evaluate himself by them and to alter his life back on course. And then what he did is over those next two decades that God gave him, uh, he added to them and uh, built upon them until at the end of his life he had some 80 resolutions. But at 17, while he was young, before the, the doors to the street shrunk back, and before the, the mighty men stooped, and before the grasshopper lurched along, he decided to get after it. I'll read you just a few of them. Resolved, 17, resolved that I will do whatever I think to be most to God's glory. Resolved to be continually efforting to find out some new invention and contrivance to promote God's glory. Resolved, if ever I shall fall and grow dull so as neglect to keep any part of these resolutions, I will repent of all I can remember when I come to my senses again. Resolved, never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be, nor suffer it if I can avoid it at all. Resolved, never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved, to live with all my might while I do live. What Edward said is, I don't want to tiptoe through life so that I might end safely at the grave. I don't want comfort. I don't want fame. I don't want fortune. I want to be resolved to be a man at war. And Edwards shook this country and changed the world. You ought to just go Google the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. And what you'll find is everything that Solomon urges us to in the book of Ecclesiastes, everything that Paul says will make us a man of honor, everything that will make folks want to write songs, not about an American soldier, okay, but an eternal soldier, is right there. But guys, knowing what to live for, doesn't help you if you don't face the truth. And facing the truth doesn't help you if you don't come up with a plan. And coming up with a plan doesn't help you if you don't execute on that plan. And one of the things that we have the great advantage of is that you are surrounded by men that have been and are going to execute the plan and spur each other on to love and good deeds and to seek to excel still more. I need these next ten weeks so that I can be strong and steady and true to the core. So I don't ignore the boys that the Lord has still left 30 feet from me. And have them limp through life, having them more concerned about success and fleeting things than true success. And I need you to help me. And I need you to make war with me. Because this battle is significant and this battle is raging. And we don't need churchmen. We need Christ followers. Competent, truth-informed, kind Christ followers. So here we go. Don't put up with mediocrity in your groups. It's the worst thing you can do is tiptoe through these next 10 weeks. 
and have guys show up with books that are half full. You know what they'd do? They'd have you put your little helmet right there by a bell, ring it, and wash you out. That's not our United States military's idea. That is Jesus's. Follow me, which means I'm not going to run at your pace. I'm going to run with horses. I'm going to call men to run with me. So let's go, all right? The worst thing we can do is do this half-assed. We are at war, guys. And this nation is looking for a few good men, and so is God. And the good news is, His grace is with you, and He wants to strongly support you. But don't weep for the Muhlenbergs. Weep for yourself. If the kids that the Lord has left in your household, if the men God's left in your life are ignored. Because God doesn't take kindly to sheep being ignored. Be a shepherd. Be men. Father, I pray that we would not trifle with fleeting things, but that we would resolve to be men. There are many distractions that affect our fruitfulness, and we cannot toil in them any longer. While we're inspired to hear what is sung about men that are on a short tour of duty overseas, and we're grateful for them, Father, we too are on a short tour of duty, 80 years, if we are given strength. And I thank you that there is in this room some 20-year-olds that are ready to use their youth and vitality to get after it. And I thank you that there are 60-year-old men that are going to continue in faithfulness or they're going to step up and they're going to show a young man how to get their life together. All of us, Father, can come to you and you can take this little murmuring heart and you can make it strong and you can make our lives matter. So some of us are in the morning. May we serve you strongly. Some of us are in the evening. May we harness ourselves to the plow and die kicking up soil, planting your truth. I thank you that I'm going to be around some guys that want to be uh, vessels of honor who can spur me on, encourage me, extend me grace when I wallow in self-pity or excuses, but also extend me a goad of truth that I might be a master of these truths, like a well-driven nail that holds things together, that is strong, that is steady, and that is true to the core. I pray this would be a church of men. And as a result of that, that we would lead families that are blessed, cities that are blessed, and a country that is a light. Raise us up. Lord, may we die for you. In Christ's name, amen.